This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, however it applies. Uh, this is your Friday edition of Locked On Browns. Your host, Jeff Lloyd from Browns Maven through SI.com's Pete Smith, your local experts on the biggest stories. Everything Cleveland Browns-wise for your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. Obviously, roster update today. Uh, Jermaine Grace, former Hurricane, brought to the practice squad. Uh, and to be honest, uh, Pete, I, I got nothing. Um, you know, other than, you know, this always seems to be, you know, uh, Coral Beach North up here in Miami. I mean, in Cleveland, obviously. He was on the Browns in 2018 before the season. So that is when they started the whole nonsense of earning your stripe. So now, officially, as a member of the practice squad, he finally earned his stripe over a year later. Oh, see, that's nice. So, so, so there's that, um, you know. And, you know, I guess, you know, Alonzo Highsmith, uh, Highsmith likes to have his buddies around for the holidays. There's that type of thing, I guess. Pete, here's one. And, and I thought about this today with the Najoku thing and, the, and you know, whether it's Njoku, whether it's Higgins, whether it was Callaway, whether it was Odell, all these players that have been accused of not lining up where they're supposed to be or not running the right route. It, it seems so weird that it's so many guys. And this makes me wonder, and, you know, I, I, I've spoken a lot about this, you know, with the offense of is, you know, what is the plan week to week? Is there a plan? A lot of the times it's, you know, throwing up against the wall and seeing what sticks. But this seems really weird that we're talking about, and it's not like they don't. Most of these guys didn't have or don't have familiarity with, you know, Freddie Kitchens. It seems like an awful lot of guys to not know what's going the hell on. Is this, you know, week to week? You know, this is what you're doing this week. Is this what you're doing next? You know, and then is it, uh, you know, oh wait a minute, they called that? Wasn't that part of last week's offense? This whole thing seems kind of fishy and is it maybe too much coaching and of course this goes back to maybe you know all the padded practices and the physicality camp for me this isn't all adding up here that everybody receiver wise whether it's tight ends whether it's wide receivers it seems really weird that everybody doesn't know what the hell's going on well um it's one of those things where you have to get to a point in your process of building the offense and whatever that if they can't do it you you stop doing whatever that thing is otherwise you're you're cutting off your nose to spite your face having said that um I, I know they get basically like an illegal formation penalty a week uh but as annoying as that is it's like one it's not like a debilitating thing so and it like, is only five yards when it happens it's not like the crippling holding number 78 so I, I, I like I completely understand the frustration with it, but it, you know if it's once a week and it's like uh, you know it's like Landry and Beckham get them as much as anybody else, and and yeah. and, and it's there, there's absolutely the possibility that they're like overcomplicating things or or changing how they call things that would make it weird, but on some level that's you know that's a player responsibility thing, but if you know you you're at week sixteen, week seventeen. Um, if you can't do it and you haven't been able to do it for the better part of four months, it might be time to go ahead and scrap it 
and move on to things you can do well or simplify it so they can do it efficiently. I think at some point it just becomes a negative uh, that you're, you're, you're causing for yourself. Yeah, well, this one also, and, you know, and, and it, you know, we put this on the receivers, but, you know, I, I go back to the Sunday night game with the Rams where it was a red zone play. There were about the three or four. The play actually went for a touchdown. But they got, um, you know, Odell was on the line. Baker wanted him in tighter. So Odell comes in tighter. Baker snaps the ball. He, you know, so it's everybody. So it really makes me wonder where it's coming from. And, yeah, look, I mean, Look, Jarvis Landry, an intelligent player. Odell's been playing wide receiver for a long time. You know, so even if there's three guys on one side, it's not hard to look and say, all right, well, the tight end's on the line. So that means nobody else can be on the line. I, I, I don't know. It, it's completely frustrating. It makes me wonder. I don't know. It, it seems like it's, you know, look, I mean, can players be lazy? Sure they can. But, you know, a lot of it, it's got to be, a, it's got to be a mix of both. There's no way it can just be the players. Either too much is changing too fast. Or I don't, I, I just don't get how it makes any sense. And it doesn't, and everybody, oh, these players are lazy. You know, because the thing is, is all oh, the players are lazy. Freddie sucks. Well, which one is it? Or is it just a blend of both? Well, you know, the amount of wide receiver false starts I've seen on this team at the very least, wide receivers are responsible because you can look and see when the ball is snapped and step. Like that's the most inexcusable penalty in football. Um, that's up there with delay of game out of a timeout, or, or, or I should say, out of a, a clock stoppage. You or out you of a touch cannot <laughs> guess the snap count as a receiver. You have the luxury of being able to see it. You're not supposed to operate under the theory that you can hear it. You just see the ball get snapped and you go. And when you have that, that's, you know, that, 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 whatever is happening, at the very least, the players are screwing up. Now, there's absolutely the component that could be the rest of the offense, but in terms of coaching and, and what they're trying to do, but that's, that's 100%. That part of it, it makes it clearly partly on the players. Yeah, I, I, I still remember once my senior year, I got a false start lined up out wide. And, you know, I was like, oh, sorry. It was like, no, there's no excuse. You don't even need to know the snap count. And I was just like, you're right. You're right. I don't even need to know the snap count because my job was to, you know, look over what was in front of me and have my eye on the ball. And when the ball moves, when I moved, you don't need, you don't even need to know the snap count as a wide receiver. And a lot of times, and even, you know, back in the day, it used to be, you know, the play was called. Receivers went out to the positions. Play was called again. I'm sorry. Play was called the first time. You know, what is it? On two. Receivers get going so you can get lined up. Same play again. On two. And then the lineman and everybody else was set up. But, you know, why receivers? That's the time why you would have a silent count. It would have no impact on your on anyone that's not on the line of scrimmage in terms of linemen or an inline tight end. Yeah. And it also goes to the where everybody was kind of losing their minds over Odell actually not going to the huddle. I think that was, you know, maybe the end of the Miami game or whatever. Really doesn't need to. If he knows the play, doesn't necessarily need to, um, especially within a four-minute O. Um, Pete, Mike Pre for today. This was interesting. Um, you, know, you know, oh, I, I'd love to be a head coach in this in this league someday. That's great, Mike. Um, but much like Greg Williams, that's never going to happen. There's just not a shot. Um. 
I am not as certain on that as you are. I, I mean, I 100% know uh, what you're referring to in terms of why he wouldn't. It's not like Greg Williams, where you know when he when he dies, Spygate, or I should say, uh, the, the uh, bounty gate is going to be in the first paragraph of his obituary. Uh, Mike Prefer, it's not that that's not the deal with him. Um, and I don't think enough people know uh, that 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 uh, his comments uh, regarding uh, homosexuals. Um, as you know, I, I don't even know how many people who are Browns fans who who uh, are part of that community even realize that he's done that. It's just not common enough knowledge. In the same way that you know, there various player issues you could you could run off um, may not have impacted uh, or, or may not penetrate the the sort of public sphere enough to matter. So like. As an example, um, Warren Moon had an issue, had a, uh, a, a a marital issue with like assault or yes. something like that. Uh, that was national news. That was a huge, 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 huge deal. Uh, wherever he goes, you know, there, there's a story that's going to come up. Greg Williams, if he goes anywhere, that's going to come up. Um, I don't think Mike Prefer um is going to get that same treatment now is he somebody that's likely to get a head coaching job on his own merits i I have no idea um but i don't think it's nearly as a a foregone conclusion as you do on this i i I could easily see him go you know to get an nfl job or some or or a college head coaching job and and it, it never comes up uh he you know at least in this case he he addressed it um, here, in a way that was was reasonably satisfying, and, and, and um, yeah, I just I don't I don't think it will prevent him from getting employed as much as that. The the only thing I I saw from that is, and I didn't hear how he said it, because my when I read the quote talking about you know going from uh, you know one and thirty one to to the six and eight, a lot of people took it like you should be happy we're six and eight. I thought the way he was saying it was, you know, they went from one to 31 to we're sitting here six and eight and we're complaining about it because we're not satisfied with it. And in that sense, he's right. Like that's a hundred percent what's happening. The expectations are higher that you don't want to, um, you, you don't want to be satisfied with that. And I, and I thought that was the point he was trying to make, but I, I saw a bunch of people talk, talk about it as if he was trying to suggest that, you know, almost like you went from, you went from the, the absolute gutter to six and eight, you should be happy with it. I don't believe that is what he was trying to say. No, no, no. I, I think what he was saying is, is, you know, you, everybody's trying to torch the place and take it back to, you know, brass tacks when it's six and eight everybody's trying to equate six and eight to one and 31 I, I agree with you there and you know it, and that's what's tough you know when special teams coaches speak once a week because you know when he's talking like you know and it, it's just a tough spot for him to be put in and when he says that and you know everybody you know and look you know look a lot of fans and look we'll see in this crowd who's there on Sunday and you know in the home finale and you know I, I mean I've, I've probably retweeted 10 if not 15 of people looking to unload their tickets for 
Sunday. Look, I understand it's a Sunday before Christmas. That probably has something to do with it. But, you know, I think a lot of people have checked out and just, you know, we're always going to be everybody's loser type of thing. I I, I get that. I do. Um, Look, as for prefer, I just think, Pete, it'd be one of those hires. If you remember years ago, Wally Backman got hired as a manager for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And then all of a sudden, media went to dig in and, all right, let's get the backstory on Wally Backman. And, you know, less than 48 hours, you know, the Arizona Diamondbacks moved on from Wally Backman. That term is there. And even people today, well, oh, why? Well, there's something with him. I'm like, you Google it. I'm not Googling it. And and the people who did and, you know, five, six, seven people. Oh, 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 okay. All right. Now now I kind of get what you're saying. I don't know. It's... uh, Look, there's a long way to go from where Mike Prefer, Mike Prefer is to being a potential head coach one day. So People yeah. like contrition, and he showed that, and I think that is what would – We again, did give him credit for that, yes. In a world where we, you know, he, he would actually be considered that, um, it, it's not as – it would be a different world if he was basically like saying this now loudly and proudly, or there were you know another incident where this came up. I think – um, you know, it, it, so long as this doesn't happen again, and you know he's a, an accomplished guy and a and a, and a, and a legitimate candidate, I, I don't think this will break him. All right, fair enough. And look, guys, you know Pete's one of the sternest people on this type of stuff, anyway. So for him to uh, maybe leave that door open, maybe kind of tells you something here. We'll get to a little bit more here on Locked On Browns. Pete Smith, Jeff Lloyd, taking you through Friday edition. If you were looking for a last-minute fun sports gift. For the holidays, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passionate, most passionate moments. Great for all fans. Go to breaking uh, breakingtea.com slash locked on, and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fan sports gifts, uh, t-shirts celebrating, you know, biggest moments, biggest plays, things like that. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Browns wise, you know, there's obviously some stuff from the '80s and that type of stuff. Uh, go ahead, check it out. Promo code locked on. Thanks to the folks over at Breaking Tea for their sponsorship over at the Locked On Podcast Network. Pete, uh, I'm trying to think who put it out here now. It might have been the Ringer. Let me bring up the picture here. And this was, I'm sorry, this was SB Nation. The five most fireable NFL coaches heading into Week 16. Number one is our own. Freddie Kitchens. Number two, Matt Patricia. Number three, Adam Gase. Number four, Anthony Lynn. Number five, Frank Reich. I, I don't necessarily want to argue this from the Freddie standpoint. For me, you know, there's some weird ones here. For me, it's Frank Reich at five. The, the Saturday, Saturday night of week three of the preseason, and I remember this well. This is when I, you know, we had we had taken our trip. We were settled in to where we were down in, you know, the Outer Banks, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, one of the people, you know, we were sharing a house with came up and he's like, Andrew Luck retired. And I, I didn't have the phone. I mean, I was trying to relax a little bit. You know, we had already had the Browns week three. They had played Friday night. I opened up Twitter. <laughs> what the hell just happened? How can Frank Wright be a guy you fire when you find out in your dress rehearsal that your quarterback, who had just had a fantastic year the year before, decided, eh, I'm going to do something else with my life. I'm moving on. Frank Reich? Really? No, I mean, no, he's he's not 
uh, anyone that's in, in danger of being fired by any stretch. Uh, the only thing that uh, I would note with Frank Reich, and I think he's a very good coach, um, is that the Indianapolis Colts got blown out in embarrassing fashion against, in New Orleans, not unlike the Browns did against the Arizona Cardinals. I, I would argue the Browns actually did, uh, you know, the, the, the Colts actually got blown out worse. And the reaction in Cleveland is always, well, it's, you know, blow, blow it up, fire everybody. And it's just not the same way in terms of the Colts. And obviously he's got a little bit of success behind him, but it's just sort of the, the resting posture of this where it's always, you know, blow it up uh, no matter what happened and, 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 and get somebody else in there. Um, yeah, it's, he's, he's fine. Uh, I don't think there's any chance he's, he's going to get uh, fired. I understand what they're basically saying is, look, you six and 10. I, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say I know. I, I understand the thought process. Um, they're six and 10 or they're likely going to be like six and 10. They were supposed to be a, 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 a team that could compete for the playoffs. Um, with Jacoby Brissett, Jacoby Brissett has not played well. They've obviously had some other injuries, and then yes, you follow that up with getting you know your ass handed to you in New Orleans, and you can sort of make case. But there are definitely more fireable uh, head coaches right now uh, in the NFL, in the AFC South. Uh, I mean, Doug Marone <laughs> is in that in that uh, division, for example, and there's no way uh, he's safer than than. Uh, and Reich is, especially given the fact that, uh, you know, they just got rid of Coughlin. I think that article came out before that happened. But nevertheless, I mean, the Jags are, are, are a dumpster fire, uh, and Doug Marone hasn't really done anything there. And there are other coaches that are certainly in that boat as well. New York Giants. So, yeah, I mean, Pat Shermer's awful. I mean, and, and they've been openly speculating uh, the, of the coaches that they're going to go after uh, when they fire him. So, I mean, like, and obviously, you know, I, I, you know, I said it beforehand, the Giants would regret hiring him, and I think they will. But I think they can fire him, get another coach, and they are another, you know, number two, number three pick running back from getting this thing turned around. <laughs> um, and Adam Gase, you know, like he doesn't have enough to work with. Um, yeah, he's a pain in the ass, um, but. No, he's tied to the GM. I don't know how that one is uh, exactly going to work on out. Um, but, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is, is it hot under Freddie's feet? Uh, yeah, it's really hot under Freddie's feet. It's so, hot uh, under Dorothy's feet. It's, it's look, uh, we've talked about this. Um, and, you know, some glaring holes continue to be glaring holes. And uh, see, it, it just very well may be. And as a good friend over the OBR said, um, you know, the Haslam's only have room to love one son within the organization. Um, and maybe uh, John's losing his spot there. Um, this one here, actually, this is funny. It's from uh, actually a long time great friend of mine, Alan Lopez. Any hate from Chubb with Hunt getting a bunch of looks. Um, obviously he wouldn't imagine. So, cause uh, Chubb seems like the ultimate great kid and the team guy, but you got to remember Nick came from this at Georgia, you know, there was, you know, obviously got time 
you know, you know, playing behind Todd Gurley, then got time when Todd Gurley had to serve a little suspension there. Uh, ran with Sony Michelle and I, uh, a lot. Um, and, and it's hard to get a read on everything there is with Nick Chubb because he doesn't give you much. And I'll be honest, God bless him for it because this media, you know, I mean, if God forbid the guy said, you know, I wanted to get a cheeseburger, they'd find a way to turn it into something else. Um, but Nick not getting the ball 370 times this year or 400 times, like some people are screaming for, it adds longevity to his career and adds hopefully to a nice payday for a good young man. Nick would never be this guy. And, you know, Nick wants to win. And when you call my number, I am going to give you everything I have. Uh, everything Nick is Nick Chubb has said in public is that he, he loves it. Uh, that he loves having that, uh, that other threat in the backfield because it, it makes his job easier. Obviously he doesn't have to uh, just slam the ball into into walls and all those things over and over and over um he's you know on pace for about 340 touches um which is you know plenty i, I think freddie kitchens I, I give him credit for this it, one of the things he's really done well is he's sort of been able to sort of you know govern himself in terms of not falling in love with nick chubb to the fact that you just run him into the ground 30 and 40 times uh, for your own ends. I mean, that's uh, there any number of coaches in history who have done this uh, or, or, you know, using the example of like the Pittsburgh Steelers, when they knew Le'Veon Bell was going to be gone, they gave him 400 and something touches in 15 games. It was like 27 touches per game. They, they by prescription destroyed that kid's body and here we are, you know, after sitting out a year, um, he's still not back. He's still not the same. So, you know, I think one of the things Freddie has done responsibly is sort of uh, giving the ball to Nick Chubb a little bit less. I think in these first halves in particular, he sort of held back a little bit. And I know a lot of people are very frustrated with that. Uh, my frustration is that, um, one, Kareem Hunt can't, or doesn't run the same types of plays as Nick Chubb does. Um, it's like Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell are back um, because, you know, Nick Chubb's this fantastic vision back who can do all these zone things and everything uh, Kareem Hunt does is uh, gap predetermined holes. Um, and my, if I have a frustration, it's that Kareem Hunt's averaging about 6.3 carries per game, and he should be getting closer to 10 um, to balance that out. And if they want to keep running the ball, that's the way they should do it. It shouldn't just be feeding Chubb over and over and over again. But um, my question with Kareem Hunt, um, you know, beyond this season is, you know, depending on what they do with the coach, if if they're going to, you know, I, I really like would like them to – retain this wide zone scheme they run on the inside in particular. I'm wondering if they aren't going to, you know, if they won't be looking for another back that fits that, which Hunt doesn't, um, or at least so far they haven't used him that way. I, I assume they're not stupid and they know what he does and doesn't do well. So if he's just a pure gap scheme runner, I'm wondering if they aren't better off in addition to all the other reasons of moving him especially if you're not convinced you're going to be a contender next year uh, and 
try to get something else and ultimately replace them with another back that fits what you're doing blocking-wise because the Browns, uh, with Treader and Petonio and increasingly Teller and whoever they draft, if they're going to get really, really good at this, then they should probably get more guys that do it well and not sort of have two sets of blocking. It's not the end of the world that you do some gap stuff and you do some zone stuff. They're just really good at the zone stuff, and it's not as effective with the gap stuff. Like, for example, and this play didn't go to Chubb but, or Hunt, but on the shovel pass where Teller got, you know, his ass handed to him, that that's a that's a zone that's a, a gap concept where you've got to you know you've got to move a dude off the ball and they didn't and the play got blown up in the backfield and they just seem to do the zone stuff better now you know so that's that's sort of where I'm at with that whole thing but uh, no I think Chubb and and Hunt are very happy um, in what they're doing it's more of a question of what what is best for the offense. Yeah, and you know we've talked about this um, when it's design run plays for Kareem you're just not getting the same effect and you're still seeing obviously, you know, the receiving aspect of green, which is, you know, a special, you know, talent that he brings. I think, I think Kareem can do more as a receiver. Chubb is just sure. such an intelligent player. I go to that, the reception in Arizona, you know, and look, it was, you know, it was a simple, you know, kind of like running back flair, but he's got the intelligence to realize the guy was on the inside shoulder plants goes outside and gives you another 15 yards on what was really, you know, some running backs. It was only a two yard reception. No, I'm not talking about from an ability standpoint, but when I wrote about this and, and, and it did not surprise me that it was 5.2 yards per carry for, Ch- for Chubb and then 4.4 for, for, for uh, hunt, which isn't bad by any stretch. That's, that's fine. Um, but I he was also I the league's leading sure, rusher as a rookie. So, yeah. I, I thought for sure that when I looked at the receiving thing, I was going to be able to, Talk about how, you know, they they use they utilize Hunt so much better as as a receiver than Chubb, but Chubb still averages more uh, per reception than Hunt does. Um, obviously, they can do more with with Hunt and those type of things, but I, I I was genuinely surprised to find out that even with all the stuff they're doing, which is largely screens and some some relatively simple stuff with him, he still does more per per reception. No doubt, no doubt, and uh, Alan. Uh... Let's get those uh, papers processed quickly, brother. We kind of need that done, my friend. Uh, uh, what else we got here? And this is actually a good one. Uh, Giovanni Ruiz, you guys know he's always got questions in here. Experts agree, one falling for of the full doors. And look, I love Nathan Zagara. I love Bo. I, I love the show. I was never a big fan of the whole full doors thing. And I'm assuming it's, it's probably not the effect that it used to have. I hear fart noises. Um, can you, pl- um, uh, was the roster build is to veterans from winning organizations. Can you please suggest what veterans and at what positions should the Browns target, assuming all options, free agents, trades and pick swaps. Thanks. Um, I'm, Pete, for me, it, it's two targets that they did try to get last year. Um, you know, a Gerald McCoy, um, you know, a, you know, Mike Daniels, um, Pete, we've mentioned a ton about Balaga, who's obviously got a history here with some of the guys in the front office, got a history here with the offensive line coach. Uh, but, you know, also the thing may be is where this goes. Um, you know, people usually tend to gravitate if if they're moving on from one aspect. And, and, and this works in any career you have. You know, if you get laid off from a job, what's the first thing you do? 
you call some of the guys that you used to work with who are now on other endeavors and, oh, hey, you guys, hey, anybody got something for me? So, you know, if it was a certain guy, you know, who maybe used to coach in Green Bay who gets this job, it makes it appealing. But, you know, but Brian Balaga is probably appealing from multi-levels. And, you know, look, for Gerald McCoy, I mean, I guess Pete at least maybe he took the job that was closer to home. But essentially, either way, it would have been the same year. Yeah, so the guys I'm targeting are Joe Schobert and uh, Justin <laughs> Burris and Eric Murray. I mean, there's guys like Trey Boston out there, but I just I don't focus on free agents from other teams. I'm especially right now. I'm only I'm entirely focused on what the Browns have that they should bring back and and the the draft because I don't typically view outside free agents as an answer. Um, but uh, I mean, Trey Boston's a guy that makes sense, you know, in a, in a world where Steve Wilkes is still here, um, and, and maybe if he isn't, uh, you know, I, I, Mike Daniels has had an injury plagued year. I, I don't know what his status is. Obviously, Gerald McCoy's a really, really talented player. Um, I, I'm sure there's going to be guys that make sense. I, I would still, you know, Danny Shelton's having a great year with New England. I would love to get that type of nose to uh, bolster Larry Ogunjobi. Um, to give them that pure run plugger up the middle that can allow Larry Ogunjobi to be focused on more of the other things uh, and be more of a pass rusher uh, to maximize his ability. But real, realistically, to me, it's it's about who they need to bring back. They they have the ability to bring back right now, which are guys on their team, and and that's entirely on Joe Schobert. And and I, I would like Justin Burris back. I, I, I think he plays his ass off. And I like Eric Murray, and those are guys that I think, two of those guys I think can be brought back for for reasonable contracts that aren't going to cost you much. And, and I think Schobert's worth uh, the money that he would he would get, um, obviously to to be the man in the middle of that defense. Uh, for me, you know, for what Murray is, you know, I think Murray is, you know, you know it, Breen Body Calhoun, who we liked, who we loved. I, I think he's that kind of guy, and he's just a defensive back. Or well, what do you need me to do this week? Okay, no problem. We're good. All right, I got you. No problem, coach. Whatever you need. So, you know, that's kind of how I view him. Uh, we got one more here to get to. Then we'll, uh, you know, sneak on in. You know, another question or two here. You know, time moves quick. Uh, me and Pete get on the phone and uh, we, we start talking ball. It, it just starts rolling on through here. Uh, the original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 uh, towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL and using the promo code locked NFL at checkout terms and conditions may apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, cause you're in the car and don't do that. People go ahead and check out this and all the other offers from our wonderful sponsors at locked on uh, at locked on. Uh, all right. Locked on sponsors at, LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. It's always nice when they slip me over a typo. But to all of our sponsors here, uh, it is the holiday season. We appreciate you all. Thank you for everybody. Uh, and, guys, go ahead. Find a chance. Save some shekels. Check that out. All right. As we continue to roll on through here on your Friday edition, uh, for those who are already off for the holiday season, <laughs> hate it for you. Y'all stink. I'm just kidding. Happy holidays, everybody. 
Oh boy, here we go from Jack Duffin. This is going to be, uh, he always makes him a long one. If the Browns move on from David Njoku, which we all agree would be a stupid move, what would you be targeting in that trade and with who? I'm sure Mr. Belichick could get the most out of him and they would love a talented tight end to finally get replace Gronk. Pete, I'll be honest. Look, if I've if they're moving on from David Njoku, it, and it depends, you know, the players in place as far as front office and coaching staff. I think they like Stephen Carlson. I think they like Ricky Seals Jones. Uh, if John Dorsey's still around, Demetrius Harris is going to get a second year. And Danny Shelton was a one-year deal, Pete. One. Um. Look, I think. Otherwise, uh, I want draft picks. I want picks. The only thing I want is draft picks in that scenario because you're you're essentially saying one, you 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 would theoretically be saying you're a wide receiver driven team, which is, you know, backwards and wrong in terms of roster construction. Um, but it would also mean that you have a desperate need at one of the most cost efficient, valuable positions in the NFL. Um, so to me, I would be interested in draft picks because then I need to go out and get more tight ends uh, and. I think it's one of those positions where you should almost always take one um, in a draft that has them, and this one will, uh, because they are just so valuable. And and, and Njoku, for example, um, if he comes back and has a a, a good fourth year, um, even if they have to pick up his option or whatever um, or or extend him, he'll still cost a fraction of what either Landry or Beckham will. It's just the nature of the beast. They cost about half as much, and they're better. They're, they're just more valuable. They do more to help your offense. And uh, that's, again, that would be backwards roster construction. Now, ultimately, it, 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 Njoku is about how good is, is can he be. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, that, that he comes back and plays well these past two weeks. Um, you know, Todd Munkin was talking about how he thought, the message from last week was received and applied by Njoku, which is positive. And it's one of those things where if, look, if he was just bad in practice and it wasn't there, I don't have a problem with, again, we talk about like, when they is didn't it lose okay? that game? They didn't lose that game because David Njoku didn't play, but go ahead. Right. It, but it's a question of when is it okay to be, to hold guys accountable? Like we want, people want them to be held accountable until it actually means holding them accountable. And then they're not happy about it. So look, I mean, if Njoku plays well and, 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 and can, can come away and, and has two games to build on, I, I mean, I, I think trading him away is insane. I think the worst case scenario you have with Njoku is you let him walk um, after next year and you, you don't pick up his option. Um, but uh, no, I, I, it just tight ends is just ridiculously valuable in terms of roster construction and and that's why, you know, last year I obviously talked about uh, the kid from Iowa uh, who's had a, a pretty miserable season in Detroit for a rookie. Um, but uh, Started because, hot but faded. Huh? Started hot but faded, but go ahead. Yeah, it's just the position is so valuable. You can never have enough of them. I mean, it, you know, and, and, I, and I don't think the Ravens are good because they have a thousand tight ends, but – tight ends are good and tight ends are valuable and tight ends can do a lot for your offense and teams that have really good tight ends tend to be more productive than offenses that don't. And that's certainly something worth building around. And obviously Baker Mayfield has done well with, 
with productive tight ends. I mean, for God's sakes, he, he keeps throwing passes to Demetrius Harris. Well, and here's the thing, and, and this is the thing, and maybe it's Baker's just good with tight ends um, because four tight ends have caught touchdown passes this season. Dave Njoku, Steven Carlson, Harris, obviously, and Ricky Seals-Jones, uh, you know, last year. But here's also the thing, and this is just one I want to slip in here before we get to one more thing because there's a certain name as far as head coach and – We'll address this here because there's a lot more listeners to the show than there was a year ago when we were going through a coasting church. Pete, last year, Baker's cast was essentially Rashard Perriman, no longer here. Jarvis Landry, obviously still here. David Njoku, he's played three games this season. Rashard Higgins, Antonio Callaway, Duke Johnson. These were the major parts of this passing game. Now it is... Odell Beckham, obviously. Jarvis Landry. Harris, acquired in free agency. Ricky Seals-Jones, picked up on Labor Day weekend. Kareem Hunt, who Baker did not see for nine weeks. Um, That's a lot. And, you know, and if you want to, and and this isn't, you know, I'm not making a case for keeping Freddie here or anything. This is more Baker, but the one constant in his life right now, Pete, is Jarvis Landry. That's the only constant in Baker's life. And as we spent last year talking about it, that relationship has gotten a lot better. The chemistry between Bar- Baker and Jarvis Landry has gotten a lot better. But these other dudes, Baker doesn't really have, didn't have much going into it. And if he kept Freddie for the sake of continuing things, the only thing it continued was essentially Baker, Jarvis, and Freddie. Yeah, look, there's definitely there, there's all kinds of arguments on 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 why to keep um, the coaching staff they have in place. Uh, I wrote a thing talking about um, the uh, you know comparing the the Browns and the Ravens offenses and and, and the Ravens being so so much more process oriented where the Browns have become product oriented, which is, you know, not where you want to be. And if you convince yourself that kitchens and Munkin um, can, you know, can, can get them on the right track in terms of being process oriented and some of that's out of their control. I mean, Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham's injury makes it impossible to be process oriented um, it, you, you, because there's no process um, because he's never able to practice. But if you can get those guys sort of focused on being process oriented and, and, and focusing on those details, and you believe that those two can get them there, then you can make the case to keep them. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's compelling enough, but it's at least interesting. And obviously, I, I agree, at least at receiver, um, it, you know, the, the, the second most, you know, uh, the, the second receiver with the most rapport that actually plays on Sundays right now is Damian Ratley, um, which sort of tells you the story of sort of where the season has gone. I mean, Najoku's obviously missed so much time. Um, you know, Richard Higgins, the situation is what it is. Um, you know, it's not likely to get fixed. It, you know, I, I don't know how much practicing he does, you know, Mayfield does with Kadero Hodge, for example. I don't know how you can sort of get to where you need to be, but they can't get there with Beckham. They can't get there with some of these other players. So ultimately it ends up being Landry and then, you know, tight ends and backs. 
because those are the guys that are sort of able to consistently be be there and practice and get better. So there are cases to be made. You know, I don't know how passionately I, I feel about any of them, but that's, you know, I don't care who the coach is. That's definitely something that has to be addressed and, and, and fixed for next season. And as we talked about last night with Odell and Jarvis, look, um, guys, maybe part of, you know, taking that next step to where you're now the guys that people look up to, not just because of your talent, but what you do is OTAs. I ain't saying you got to make all of them, but uh, maybe be a part of it. And, you know, a little bit more than, you know, I was in the building. I was there. Uh, Cohesion, certainly something to uh, talk about. Pete, we're short on time. We'll have to get this another time. But, Pete, in, in 30 seconds or less, Josh McDaniels. No, no, no. Look, I mean, I just don't know how you can can, can get that enthusiastic about going to the Patriots well the third time uh, with all of the failures they've had of of guys, including Josh McDaniels once already, um, in addition to the fiasco with the Colts, that once they get away from Belichick's net, that they fail on their own. And and you're going to try to talk, talk yourself into, well, they get McDaniels and Nick Casario, John Carroll grad. Um, I don't know what he does when Belichick's not around. So it's just, it's very hard for me to be enthusiastic at all about anything Josh McDaniels. I don't like the way he sort of handled himself on any of this stuff. Um, I, I don't know what people, why people think he's, you know, the silver bullet. Um, to anything, especially right now, the Patriots' offense is awful, um, and you can excuse it however you want, but that's the truth. They're awful. So I don't know why this is the year that you'd want Josh McDaniels, other than people keep bringing him up because they know him and they keep carrying his water for him, and, and he keeps being brought up. Like Nobody's bringing up Eberflus this year at all. You ne- you've never hear that guy's name, and he nope. was allegedly a hot candidate last year. It's largely because people keep bringing up their names, and that guy's name's not brought up, but McDaniel's is every single time. So there's there are always people who are like going to talk themselves into this guy, and I don't think there's anything I don't think there's anything there. I, I think the only way that would happen is if Dorsey's gone, which is its own question. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I just, look, guys, that one no. Um, got to put a bow on this one here. Um, again, happy holidays as we start getting into the season. Uh, Hanukkah, Hanukkah starts on Sunday. You know, obviously Christmas, all that stuff. Everybody appreciates you all. He is Pete Smith. Make sure you're checking everything out at Browns Maven. Anything, all the stuff, Brownswise, SI.com. Follow at underscore Pete Smith underscore the show itself at Lockdown Browns, all lowercase. DMs always open, always a follow back account. Me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. DMs open. Guys, we appreciate you all. Um, obviously, not the ride we all wanted to go on this year. Um, Offseason coming. We'll have a lot of fun with it like we always do. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LLB. Let's go Browns.